Hey everyone, and welcome to the Refield Team Fairchild podcast. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Haas. Our goal with this podcast is for Team Fairchild to get to know each other, our support programs, and to increase our sense of community and development. Every episode, we'll be interviewing people from around the base and learning about them, as well as their keys to success. On this episode, we are sitting down with Mrs. Dawn Altmeyer, the Community Support Coordinator for Fairchild Air Force Base. How's it going? It's going well. How are you this morning? Could not be better. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with me and do this interview because we work together just about every single day, I would say. So you've made this whole crew advising job extremely easy and a joy. And I've learned a lot from you as well as any sort of craziness that events that we try to accomplish. So thanks for everything, by the way. Listen, the same (laughs) about you. You make my job way easier. So thank you. Well, right on. Uh, Before we get into all the professional development part of this podcast of all the kind of rapid fire questions, everybody gets kind of curious about how did you get to be here? What sort of stuff do you want to tell us that led you to this point in your life? Oh, deep question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No pressure. How far back do I want to go back? (laughs) Uh, Once upon a time, there was a young NCO in the Air Force who went to England and met a a English woman and apparently they fell in love and had me. So, so I'm a military brat. Um, my dad was active duty Air Force, um, but I had a very colorful life, childhood. Some people have seen it in some of my stories. Um, my mom and dad divorced before I was a year old. Okay. So I didn't meet my mom really till I was 17. Oh, wow. Uh, my dad was married five times total. So I had four stepmoms in between mm. um, when they divorced and when I actually met my mom. And so... It was an interesting childhood, uh, but I grew yeah. up around military bases, grew up around the Air Force, and uh, it was it was a pretty rough childhood. I learned about OSI and CRB cases before I became a first sergeant in, in this position here, and my dad actually tried to get me to join the Air Force before I graduated, uh, brought a recruiter out when I was 16, I think, and I was like, mm, if this is what the Air Force is about, I don't want any part of it, Right. Uh, yeah. and so I think because of how I was raised... And I was in foster care from 16 until I was 18. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had met a young airman out at Malmstrom Air Force Base. <laughs> um, totally wrong person for me. Um, not a bad person, just not the right person for me. Um, so mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do. I needed out of out of the marriage. And so I decided to join the Air Force because I knew they'd give me a dorm and a meal card. Get the basics Get covered. Get the basics is what you're... <laughs> covered, yes. And I got pregnant the day I got home from tech school. Uh, gotcha. Had an EFMP child. She was born with a liver condition. Um, and so kind of navigating that, trying to figure out how to be an airman, how to be a mom, and how to be a single mom all at the same time was a test of perseverance, I think. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but I managed it and uh, did the whole EFMP moving you know, from Malmstrom to San Antonio so we could be closer to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh, went to Korea where I figure out who I was. I know most people kind of lose themselves <laughs> in Korea, <laughs> but it was the first time I'd been alone because um, I had to leave my, my family behind. And uh, so I got to figure out who Don was and what Don stood for. Um, and I think that was really good. And I came back from Korea and met my current husband when I, the day I got back, he was actually my supervisor, which sounds weird, but we didn't date <laughs> till four years after he was no longer my supervisor. Um, and uh, we've been married, what, 17 years now? Wow. I had really good opportunities. I got to be an instructor in the Air Force. I was TMO. That was the career field I went into. It was two different AFSCs when I joined. 
And then I was household goods passenger and freight and packing and crating. Okay. Um, right after I joined, they merged, became one. So I got to do all of that. I got to work XP in Korea. My second tour at Kunsan um, was the hazmat instructor. And then I moved over to faculty development where I taught other instructors how to be instructors. Okay. And um, love that, which is kind of what led me to what I was doing. I didn't know I wanted to be an instructor until I became one. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I enjoy being in the classroom. I enjoy helping other people, um, sharing my life story so people don't know that that they're alone. And then I became a first sergeant, and that was kind of funny. When I was in Korea the second time, I'd gotten a call from one of your predecessors saying, oh, hey, I'm okay. getting ready to retire. How would you like to be the career assistant advisor at Fairchild? So I was like, sounds like a great plan. And uh, I came back, and there was a lot of politics and stuff in it. And I was like, if, if you guys are looking for a puppet on a string, that was literally what I said in an interview oh, because wow. <laughs> we had a, a chief in FSS who wanted to take the program where he wanted. I said, pick someone different because I'm not Pinocchio. You know, I don't, I don't follow a marionette very well. I'm a little bit of a rebel that way. Um, <laughs> might edit that out. Uh, I was like, uh, and at the same time, I had a first sergeant. And when I was in Korea, I got to be in a temp shirt for my first sergeant a couple oh, times. Okay. I really felt like you could help people in that position. Not that you couldn't as a career assistant advisor. Right. But I think you got to be more intimate as a first sergeant and really help people and see where they're at. Um, and so when um, I, I had interviewed and then the command chief was like, well, I hadn't interviewed yet. My interview got pushed. And the command chief at the time came up and he's like, sorry to hear you didn't get the job. I'm like, what? I didn't even interview because he didn't know my interview. <laughs> uh, he was like, what do you think about being a first sergeant? And I was like, well, funny you bring that up, you know, because that's kind of what I was doing at uh, Kunsan as a temp shirt occasionally. And I had a really good first sergeant there. So he talked with my first sergeant here who was just like, absolutely. And that was all she wrote. I became a first sergeant and uh, did that for four and a half years. And then... Um, they were like, hey, we got too many first sergeants on Fairchild. Where would you like to go? And my husband had just retired, active duty. Um, two years before that, our daughter was in high school, a Cheney. And mm -hmm. I was like, this was the first place in my career that we put roots. Yeah. Where it felt like home, where we got to know our neighbors. We became community, involved in the community, um, instead of just being involved in the base, waiting for our next assignment. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was like, I really don't want to go anywhere. And so I decided to retire, which was really scary because I didn't know what I was going to be when I grew up. And uh, as a first sergeant, I was going to the IDS team meetings at the time. Uh, the IDS chair at the time was like, hey, we have this position opening up civilian. If anyone's looking for a job, I had already hit the button. I'm like, I'm looking for a job. And what got me here was the team on this base. I did nothing. I had um, Chris Marble at Airman Family Readiness Center send me the PD. I had Melissa Steele help me write my resume and transfer, you know, what I had done active duty into how it applied to this position. Mm -hmm. um, the whole team just kind of rallied around me, which was very humbling that they wanted me to have this job. And I tease Chris all the time because he's like, hey, you know, we are so grateful you're over there. I'm like, you guys knew what I was getting into and didn't prepare me. <laughs> for that. He just laughs. But um, we have an amazing support team at Fairchild Air Force Base. So what got me here were the people that are on this base that saw something in me that I don't think I saw in myself. So yeah, it was, it was all them. Well, you're, you're so right though, because it, <clears throat> it takes a village, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and how many people are really that uh, introspective that they've got themselves completely figured out, 
you know, sometimes it takes that little push of, no, you'd be really good at this. You do a really good job at this. I mean, we all need that at some point. At some yeah. point, yes. So, yeah, it was it was the first job I applied for. It was the first job I interviewed for. I was still active duty when I was offered the job. I found out at my retirement ceremony. Oh, really? <laughs> that, that Mr. Carney brings me an envelope and he's like, congratulations, you don't get to leave us. And I'm like, whoa. Which was cool he did because um, somebody mistyped my email address, so I never got the official notification. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so I was really grateful that he printed out the email saying, hey. So, and it was a panel interview, so it wasn't just one person deciding. And I was, I, I was shocked. It was like, this was way easier than it should have been. And I think that my life, um, going from being a dependent child of the Air Force, being a dependent spouse of the Air yeah. Force before I joined, having an EFMP child, being a single mom, being military to military, with each of us bringing a child into the relationship and navigating all of that. And now I'm a retiree. So I've like filled all the roles. So I think that it, my faith, I, I believe in God. I think God orchestrated my life, even the rough times, to get me to where I'm at today. That in hindsight, it kind of sucked when I was going through it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it prepared me to be more empathetic and compassionate and understanding about what's happening in people's lives. Yeah. And to know that we don't know people based off of what you see on the surface. So like people think, you know, I'm, I'm they call it, what do they call it? Like a woodchuck? Oh, when yeah. people are like trying to get trophies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I've heard yeah, that about me. Yeah. And it, what people don't know until I start sharing is that when you grow up in a very abusive environment, especially when you're in school and you find out you do really well in school, that the teachers will give you praise and it makes them happy. So you get good recognition and that kind of molds how people are. So then I become a perfectionist where I have to do good at everything because I was conditioned as a child that if I did really well here, I would get positive rewards and that transferred. And I think I was probably about 35 years old when I had a supervisor tell me, your standards are too high. You will continually be disappointed if you don't lower them. Like that kind of goes against what I read in the PFE and I'm old. So we still had PFEs. <laughs> 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 Where General Schwarzkopf said, great leaders set high expectations or high standards and demand their people meet them. Um, but it did give me a, okay, are my standards too high? And really self-reflection, like, why, why do I just keep going at things? It's like, because I was conditioned to make things perfect because that made people happy. Thankfully, I've let go of that a little bit where I, I don't feel like I have to be perfect all the time, which is <laughs> freeing. And I'm not nearly as stressed as I used to be, so... That, a lot of that came with this job, <laughs> like where, where you teaching kinda, EQ and yeah, so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Tell us about the community support coordinator position. Like what, what all does a community support coordinator entail? What does that position entail? So the history of this position um, was from the, the Fort Hood shootings. That's what brought oh, this yeah. position apart. And I think it was because... The main part of my job is to identify trends, both positive and negative, that are going on on installation with military and civilians and their families. Um, and what are we doing that's helping the positive trends? And what do we need to keep doing? And negative trends, what do we need to change? Right. Um, and that was additional duties for people. So when we had the IDS, which was the Integrated Delivery Service, which is now the Community Action Team, so the mm. other cat, not the Crisis Action Team, two different cats. <laughs> uh, and the Community Action, it used to be Community Action Information Board, is now the Community Action Board. Those were additional duties. So you might have the chaplain or someone from mental health or someone from family services um, on the base that would run these meetings 
but that wasn't their primary job. You know, they're trying to identify all these trends from all these other different helping agencies and pull all that data and still do their day-to-day job and things right. that were required of them. And so as with any additional duty, your primary job is going to come first and additional duties, not because it's not important, but because you have to get your job done. Yeah. And then whatever you have left, you know, that's going to go to kind of hurting these cats. Right. I'll have similar priorities, but still very different priorities. Um, and so the Air Force said, hey, we need someone that can do that, that that is their sole focus is trying to extract the data from all these different helping agencies and says, okay, what are we doing really well as an installation and where we might miss might be missing the mark gotcha. on the installation. So that's really what my job is. And okay. under that, it's the comprehensive airman fitness. So how do we strengthen the people who work on the base and their families how do we strengthen their mental, physical, spiritual, and social resilience or their fitness? And so that's what my job is, which okay. is why I get to do like the EQ classes and true colors and why we teach resiliency and um, why you get to come to our cat meetings every month and <laughs> uh, talk about trends and what are we seeing within our own helping agency. So it's just bringing everyone together and saying, hey, where, what are we seeing? And maybe we see similarities across the different agencies um, or maybe you know, one agency is seeing a spike in a trend and then another agency, well, you know, this is what we're seeing and kind of comparing and pulling back to the root causes and seeing what's going on that's taking the focus off mission. Gotcha. Okay. So we have some kind of sort of rapid fire type (laughs) questions, but not extremely. Don't feel like you have to answer it in so many words or less, but Kind of the part of the podcast is to get your take on professional development. And as we've just found out, you have a very interesting career and you've seen a lot, not only in your career, but in life. So this will be fun to figure out, uh, not only for me, but also for the listener too. So how do you define success? I personally define success when you get to be your best you every day, whatever that is. Some days it's going to be a parent, some days, hopefully every day it's a parent and a spouse, But whatever your best is that day and that you were pursuing your hopes, your dreams, um, not what other people levy on you. When I was an airman, people would tell me that success was if I was the first female chief master of the Air Force. Like, I'm going to be the first female chief master of the Air Force. That was literally my goal, but it wasn't my goal. Um, And as I started going through and figuring out who who is Don, Don doesn't like to travel a lot. Um, <laughs> Fair Dawn, enough. Don likes to spend time with her family. Um, Don doesn't want every word that comes out of her mouth to become law or gospel um, because sometimes I don't have a filter. And I know that about myself. I'm working on it. It's been a work in progress. Um, and so when I started thinking about what it is I value and what's important to me, Chief Master of the Air Force wasn't what I wanted. I am a mountain girl who likes to be at a lake and in the forest and in the woods. That's just where I'm comfortable and at peace. And I like to watch birds on my bird feeder and crochet. And, you know, I'm, I'm a homebody. And I know mm-hmm. that about myself. And I don't know that I would have been as effective as a chief master, the chief master of the Air Force because it didn't align with my values. And I wanted to take care of airmen, but I think my gifts, my talents... Um, I'm more suited for this job, mm-hmm. not sitting up at the Pentagon making policy. And so when I realized who I was and I started celebrating me and my strengths, I was like, I really don't want to be 
chief master sergeant of the Air Force. I don't want to I don't want to be in my retirement and be on speaking engagements and tours. And I love listening <laughs> to him. So, you know, when I hear the stories and just as an airman at NCO graduation, senior NCO graduation, first sergeant academy, Air Force balls, all these places that the chief master of the Air Force comes. Yeah. And you get to talk to him and I love listening to their stories. But I am also so grateful that I'm not the one who has to be up on stage constantly traveling, constantly leaving my family to go share what I know um, yeah. because that's that's not where my comfort zone is. I'm much more happy in a classroom sharing my stories, not, you know, but I get to go home every night. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I used to feel guilty like I was selfish because that's what I wanted. Um, but I know so many people who love to travel and they love that adventure and that excitement and doing true colors and four lenses and emotional intelligence has helped me really understand that's a good thing. We need that diversity and other people are much more suited. And it's okay that I'm a homebody because that's who I was hardwired to be. Mm -hmm. um, and that I can just kind of do this and feel feel content. Some people, when they're in one place too long, they don't feel content. They get restless and, you know, they need to keep going. Those are the people who are going to be really good at being achievement. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Um, and it doesn't mean that, you know, other people can't, but it's just when I thought about it, I'm like, I hate traveling and not sleeping in my own bed every night that I don't know that I would have been a pleasant chief master. <laughs> when I don't get good sleep, I'm really grumpy. Uh, and so um, I think success isn't about a position you hold or how much money you make or the things that you have. I think it's when you get to celebrate being the person you were created to be and bringing your A game every day. And that, and that's really what it is. Everything else will just fall in place. Mm -hmm. Like success for me, wasn't getting this job, which is an amazing job. Success for me was that people recognized when I decided to start just being who I was, I became authentic instead of trying to be something someone else thought I should be. And then that mattered more. So for me, success was other people recognizing something in me saying you would be good at this job because yeah. I just got to be Dawn, 100% Dawn every day. Well, that's a process, right? Because, you know, you, we do grow up in a, an environment where you are kind of told exactly how to do what, how to act. So it definitely takes some exploring to not only figure out who you are, and that's, you know, it can be a continual process, but then figuring out how to weave that into while you're still wearing the uniform yep. and, and then being comfortable with those decisions. That's, you kind of said that you started to, you found that when you were in Korea just from being away is how you explore that? Or was there some other catalyst in there? Or? It was just a culmination of everything. So the first time I went from being in an abusive home to going into foster care to marrying an airman, you know, bam, bam, bam. I mean, it was just very, very fast. And I never knew who Don was. I was always an extension of somebody or some other process. Okay. okay. So when I went to Korea, I had to figure out who I was. What did I stand for? Um, I wasn't someone's wife. I wasn't someone's mom. I mean, I was, but at the same time, you know, I got to decide what to have for dinner without considering what anyone else wanted. It's like, well, what do I want for, for dinner without, <laughs> without asking, Hey, what do you want me to make for dinner? You know, it's like, well, I don't have to answer to anyone else. I get to eat what I want today. Um, and so it was just those kinds of things. And what kind of friends do I want? You know, who do I want to hang out with? Because I was a mom to an EFMP child and I was a wife. Um, so I never really put much stock. My friends were proximity. They were people I worked with. You know, and so because it was just easy. And I had one of my very best friends is, is now here as a civilian at Fairchild from when I was an airman at Lackland. Um, and we're still 
really good friends. Um, one of my other really good friends lives in Tri-Cities. So okay. um, my friends were always people I just worked with because it was easy and convenient um, because I'm a homebody. I don't like to go out (laughs) (laughs) in public. Um, And so I really, the first time I went to Korea, it was the first time in my life I had been alone. And so I didn't have all these, these responsibilities on me. It's not that I didn't worry about my family and didn't, you know, interact with my family, but it was the first time I got to decide what is it I like to watch on TV? What do I like to eat for dinner? What kind of people do I want to hang out with when we're not doing couples or parenting, you know, play dates. And Mm -hmm. so and it was very eye-opening. So when I came back, I was way more independent with my own thoughts, where I wasn't afraid to vocalize my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't, I was no longer afraid where I felt like I had to please people. Um, so it's not that I didn't want to be giving to people. Right. But my opinion mattered too. So if I didn't want to eat someplace for dinner, I'd be like, no, I really don't like that place. I only go because you like eating at that place. Um, and so that was my first trip to Korea. Um, my second trip, my husband was at Osan. I was at Kunsan. So we got to hang out with each other. Um, and it was different because I was a senior NCO. And it, it's a different world when you go as an airman versus when you go as a senior NCO. And, and Korea changed so much in that 10 years between my two tours. It was like, night and day okay going to korea so like the first time it was like what you see on mash like literally there were people <laughs> drying rice on the side of the road and driving little rickshaws you know or the horse was pulling them to everyone has a car and high-rise buildings and their version of walmart which is e-mart which is like escalators that your shopping carts can go up you know, it, it grew so much in 10 years um and so i did more exploration Plus, I made more money so I could go out and explore more around Korea. Um, that kind of helps, too. Yeah. yeah. And so my husband being up at Osan, that helped. You know, I'd go up and visit him. He'd come down visit me. So I didn't have as much, but I got to work XP that time. So I got to see, um, I was the military deception NCIC. Okay. Uh, and so I got to learn more about the mission of the Air Force. Um, so that was really exciting getting to kind of step out and see see more um, about what the the overall mission is why we exercise the way that we exercise gotcha. why we plan things the way that we plan things um what our actual concerns are so it was really exciting seeing a different side of the air force um and seeing that every job matters um mm-hmm. in the air force that we don't have the luxury of just paying people to show up for no reason um, <laughs> so, so when you're sitting at that level you actually get to see how every whether you make food for people or you are packing you know, boxes for someone or defending the base, whatever it is, every job on an installation is there for a purpose and it matters just as much as the next job. So that was really um, kind of shifted how I see the Air Force as a whole. Um, so it was a good rebluing experience. Right on. Well, you kind of went into it, but let's, uh, I'll ask you again. What do you think has made you successful? Um, I think emulating my really good leaders that I've had, um, listening to mentors, and making sure I never become the leaders that I really didn't care for in the Air Force. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and it, it's really weird. Just things that when I talk about being your best best you, a defining moment for me was, um, I don't remember what year. I think it was 2004. It was between 2002 and 2004, I think. Um, there was somebody who had been kicked out of the Air Force at Lackland Air Force Base who sent a package bomb to a first sergeant. Oh, And when she opened the package, she lost some fingers and an eye. And I was up at the hospital with my daughter and we got into the elevator and she was on the elevator with me. And um, 
I, I knew my first sergeant at the time. And I said to myself, I will never treat somebody in a way that they want to blow me up. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> and so um, that really became my guiding principle on being my best me is what are my values? What do I want to stand for? Um, and this, I think why I'm so passionate about emotional intelligence, because we talk about, we ask people to think about people who brought out the best in them and the people who brought out the worst in them and what were their attributes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that young age, I was a young NCO. I was like, I never want to have, I never want to be on someone's worst list. I always think like Billy Madison when, when Adam Sandler calls the one guy and apologizes and then like he crosses his name off of his kill list. Um, it was like, that always sits in the back of my head is when someone walks away from me, how did I make them feel? And I, there's sometimes I failed miserably. Um, th there's an instant I can think of on base where I was having a really bad day. And I said something about someone to someone else that wasn't untrue, but it was not kind. And um, the person heard. And I felt, I felt so horrible. I actually called, I hunted them down, called and said, you know, it was very unprofessional. It was very wrong of me um, to do that. I was having an off day and I just took it out on you. And so, yeah, it was just that, what list did that person put you on today? And can you mm -hmm. do your job if you don't treat people the way that you would want to be treated? Um, and so for me, um, that was kind of my guiding principle. Um, so when you talk about has made me successful. Now, this job if I considered this job being successful, that was totally my relationships with other people that, that got me here. Mm -hmm. But as far as what I think makes me successful, or I hope anyway, you know, is that I just bring my A game, whether that's in how I treat people, in the effort I put into my job, in my interactions with other people, that it's always the best version of me. Right. Yeah, I guess you never know when, when you end that conversation, are you going to have another one with that person, yep. you know? So... That's a really good thing to take away. Thanks. What is the greatest lesson that you've learned? I think the greatest lesson is to just be me. And, and I know I've said it a few times, but when I stopped trying to fill shoes that everyone else thought I should fit into, I, I really never felt content. Um, and I'm really at peace with my life, which is a really weird place for me to be. Um, <laughs> I had this conversation with my husband the other day because uh, we were talking about being bored. I'm like, I'm not bored. I'm finally at peace. And I used to be so anxious about what other people thought about me. And, and if I was doing enough, I was always volunteering. I never learned the word no. Mm. Um, and I was hyperextending myself where I had nothing left to give. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm a human. My husband died laughing. I was like, I am a human being, not a human doing. <laughs> and I need to be comfortable just being. And that was like the most freeing thing I've ever learned. And so I still volunteer, but I pick things that I am passionate about instead of yeah. trying to do everything, you know, try to be everything to everybody um, is exhausting. And so it's like, what am I passionate about? Because I know I'm going to give a hundred percent. So um, I volunteer with places like Embrace Washington because it is to help foster kids and foster families. Um, and cool. so that's something I am passionate about. Um, I love to cook. I love to entertain. So I cook for my worship team at church. Um, and so I get to be creative in the kitchen. Um, but it's something I enjoy doing. And so instead of just always saying yes, I am purposeful and intentional in the things that I say yes about. And I stop feeling guilty when I say no. And, and I say no a lot more than I ever used to. And that was so freeing where um, I used to just be antsy. Everyone's like, oh, she's always on the go. She's always moving. And now I am perfectly comfortable sitting on the couch watching Hallmark movies. Or right now I'm playing Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> yes, I am nearly 50 years old and I still play video games. Uh, but it's just, it's fun. And I can just sit there and play with my husband and not feel guilty that I'm not doing something that 
I've been doing all day at work and it's okay for me to come home and just relax and purposefully put time to just be me and spend time with my husband. And he's my best friend too, which I know sounds cliche, but he really is my best friend. Um, and so that was probably the greatest lesson. I wish I would have learned that much earlier that it's okay to just be authentically me. So I learned that maybe a year or two ago. And when <clears throat> I'm asking you this, just to see if it was just a weird feeling for me or if you felt the same way. But once I learned that, I've never felt so centered and calm before. And once I figured that out, then I could remind myself how to get back to that spot when I, when I was going and I could kind of feel that tension rise or, you know, that anxiety, like what you were just saying. Was that kind of your experience as well? It is. And it's, it still gets that where I'll still get overwhelmed um, at work. And it's not that my job's awful. Because I absolutely love what I do. But sometimes there's just so much crammed into such a little time. Because a lot of times we try to plan things between wing events and everything. So I have small pockets of windows that I try to cram a lot into. Um, but now I'm okay taking leave and just saying, hey, I need a day. I just need to, to recruit. And I used to be like, you know, so much work is going to pile up because I'm a bright gold and true color. So I need my checklist to be marked off and I need things to get <laughs> done. Um, I still have that. But I'm like, you know what? It's, is it going to matter if I do it today or if I do it? the next day, if I need to take a day off to just regenerate, because I am better when I take time to recharge my batteries. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make as many mistakes. I'm more efficient. And so I've learned that taking downtime actually makes me more productive, which seems it, it's very counterintuitive yeah. that if I take some time off or step away from whatever this is and, you know, go chat with someone, you know, just, it restarts my brain. So I am, I can think better about things. I can problem solve better about things. I'm more refreshed. I have more energy. And, um, that was a really hard lesson for me to learn, but it, it is where what I, I can now recognize when I'm starting to feel anxious and starting to feel like I'm getting overwhelmed, um, yeah. that I now can identify that and say, okay, I, I need a day. I need, you know, an hour or two where I'm just going to be like, hey, I'm going to leave early today. I just need some me time and recharge my battery so that I am better able to handle all this tomorrow. Because it's still going to get done because I still have to get my checklist done. It'll get (laughs) done faster and it'll get done better when I take time to recharge my batteries instead of trying to do it when I start getting stress hormones coursing through my body, which kind of shuts down my brain from functioning correctly. So, um, And so that was probably one of the greatest lessons I've learned is just be. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that as well. What are you learning now? I'm actually working on a lesson plan. So we do crucial conversations, which, you know, because that one was so popular, we actually (laughs) had to make a regular scheduled date for that one. Crucial Accountability um, is the book I'm reading right now that I thought I knew everything, but the way that it talks about how we hold people accountable for broken commitments. I wish I would have had this as, as a supervisor. I wish I would have had this as a parent when my kids were younger, like the youngest is 22 now. So I can't really hold them accountable much anymore because they're little adults themselves. Um, (laughs) They're still, they're still my babies, Mm -hmm, Uh, but mm -hmm. they are adults. They get to make their own decisions. And so uh, crucial accountability, um, it kind of takes emotional intelligence and crucial conversations and some of the skills we learn in in, uh, resiliency and kind of combines it. And as I'm reading this book, I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm just, I'm laughing because it talks about, if someone doesn't do something, um, one of the things is you're upset 
about um, your spouse or uh, an example they have in the book is your teenage daughter breaks curfew. And so when they talk about accountability, they're like, what most people fail to do is they will address the issue that they're most emotional about and not the actual impending issue. And so if your daughter's late for curfew, first instinct is to address the fact she was late for curfew. But mm-hmm. that may not be the only issue you're trying to address. Now you can't trust your daughter because she broke a commitment. So there's a trust issue. There's a, you were worried sick because you didn't know if she was just being late or if she's dead in a roadside ditch somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you've got the worried yourself sick issue. You've got all of these underlying issues. And so trying to decipher which one is the most important issue to address so that you don't end up in Groundhog's Day and just keep having similar yeah. conversations with whether it's your airmen or your children or your significant other or you know someone on a volunteer committee. Um, so that's what I'm learning right now. And it's just kind of like, why didn't I know this before? You know, And it seems like <laughs> common sense when I'm reading it in the book, but the way that they're laying it out. So I'm working on the lesson plan for that. So that should be done hopefully by the end of the year. That'll um, be awesome. So I think this will be a really good, um, and the the examples in, in the class are going to be kind of really fun, but real world examples so that um, it talks about, is it a motivation factor for them? You know, where we ask people to do something, but we haven't motivated them to do it. And then we're upset that they didn't do it when it wasn't important to them to begin with. You know, and so just kind of kind of seeing where people are at. So if you have a friend who you kind of think is flaky and flighty because you make plans and then they cancel, it's like, well, were they, were they really motivated to go hang out with you anyways? You know, were they just doing something you wanted to do and they never wanted to do it? Or are they really not that good of a friend? You know, that you see the relationship differently than they do. Yeah, yeah. And so um, just, it's just a very fascinating read where I'm just eating up the book right now um, so I can get, get the lesson plan done. So... I really, really wish I would have had this when my kids were younger. <laughs> I say that about a lot of our classes. I'm so grateful that the Air Force, AMC, Fairchild really believes in these soft skills because I think they make a huge difference when people are open to them and will be willing to apply the lessons that they learn mm-hmm. into their lives. And so I, I, I'm hoping everyone's as excited as I am. I think that's going to be huge for Fairchild and I know that through the classes I'm taking, I know they're teaching us for on the outside. We all say outside mm-hmm. like it's like we're in a prison sentence, but that's not <laughs> what I mean. So in civilian culture, they're putting a lot more emphasis on soft skills as well. They are. So that's maybe it's a awakening in some aspects for just leadership. Okay. What have you read that we should read? I would say Crucial Conversations and Accountability, but I'm working on lesson plans for those. So you can just come to the class if you don't like to read. Um, <laughs> Patrick Lencioni is probably one of my favorite authors. He has really good work on team building and how to make businesses successful. Um, Brene Brown is, any of her books, is awesome for self-reflection and kind of figuring out how you fit in the world. Um, But I think my favorite book that I've read recently is by Liz Wiseman, and it's called Multipliers. And it it fits into kind of what I was just talking about, that um, when people walk away from you, do... Do they feel smarter? Do they feel better about themselves? Mm. Um, and so when when you can emulate that, when people walk away and you edify and lift them up, even if you have to give feedback that is corrective in nature, you can still lift people up while you're doing that saying, you know, you might have missed the mark here, but I know you're going to get this um, because then that multiplies. Then those people yeah. will start treating other people the similar way. And I think if everyone kind of read that book and applied those skills of are we multiplying treating people poorly or are we multiplying, you know, giving 
people the tools and the resources and the mindset that they need to be successful for themselves. And so, you know, they all talk about that one leader that as soon as they walk in, everyone's, you know, feeling like they're walking on eggshells and they're tense and um, Mm -hmm. that will spread through an organization. But if people, you know, can be them authentically themselves, it's like they're going to miss the mark because we're humans. We make mistakes. We have error in judgment. But how we treat people from that is really what makes the difference. And when people can see that they're allowed to be human, which there's a difference between making a mistake and really making bad decisions repetitively. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to deal with those those types of things. But when someone makes a mistake, we don't have to knock them down. They're probably already beating themselves up pretty hard over it. Um, but it's it's how do we do that? Giving consequences with grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't have to belittle them and, and treat them like they're less human because of a decision that they made. But saying, hey, you know, you did this. It doesn't matter, you know, anymore. It's in the past. Right. Let's focus on where we're at today. And what is where is the point we want to be in the future? And how are we going to get there? Um, and so... I think Liz Wiseman's multiplier book is is probably my favorite right now. But Brene Brown is really good, and Patrick Lencioni. Okay, okay, thanks. But I also love David Baldacci. That's my personal reading. Okay. He did, um, what was that movie with Clint Eastwood? Um, Absolute Power. That was one of his first books. Okay. Um, but they're all kind of NCIS, CIA, FBI, spy, and... Ah, uh, okay. Those are my favorite. Gotcha. So gotcha. I'm reading one of his series right now, so... So you're all over the place. Got to have some fun, as, some fun as well as some learning type books. Yep. That kind of, when you were talking about that, that reminded me of Stephen Hawking as a quote that I wrote up on my board. And it goes into the multiplier thing of get the best, best value for your actions. And that totally goes into, yeah. okay, so we really have to think about what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're being perceived, especially in that context. Yeah. Okay, so what advice would you give the 19-year-olds, your 19-year-old self? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My 19-year-old self was pretty round, was round pretty, pretty tight. Um, I would tell myself, don't take life or self too seriously. When you take everything so seriously, you miss out on all the joys of life. And uh, I missed out on a lot, but I was married to the wrong person for me, got married for the wrong reasons. And so I think that I didn't see my life being any different that I just kind of accepted where I was at as that's going to be what life is. And life changes so much so frequently that <laughs> it's like, there's always, there's always going to be a tomorrow, you know? Yeah. 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 I know what you're Everyone dies. I'm yeah. <laughs> but no matter how bad it's going right. through, most of the time you're still going to wake up. Right. And that, um, <clears throat> I didn't have to be a victim of my life circumstances and that I could use that as a springboard to better myself to use on how I don't want to treat people, um, to be aware that reading people is not, you know, we can't judge books by its cover. So unless someone's giving you a peek underneath the curtain to say, here's what I'm about, here's what my life experiences are, um, Mm -hmm. don't be too quick to judge people because people behave the way that they do for a reason. And sometimes we may not know or understand how significant that reason may be. Um, And whatever people are going through, know that everything's temporary. Yeah. And so some days, some days life is just hard. Life is not easy. Um, And I think having an awareness that um, my experience up to my 19 year old self looked very different than other people. And so um, not trying to expect everyone to see life through the same lens that I did because Mm. mine was a little warped. Um, My husband reminds me of that still because even yesterday (laughs) he was like, okay, assuming you had normal parents, how would you have handled it? So he just, he just prefaces that because sometimes he'll say things. I'm like, really? You're going to ask that about my parents? And he's like, okay, 
point taken. Uh, and so he'll, he'll preface that. And I'm like, but how do we know what normal is? You know, and so then I'm like, you know, everyone has a story and some, it's just like any book. Some people's stories are, are, are way more colorful and creative than other people's, mm-hmm. um, but they're not any less important. Um, there's, right. there's lessons to learn always. And um, are, are we learning from, from those? And I'm glad I did because I think I would have just been in a vicious cycle of, of just repeating the same kind of behaviors that weren't necessarily healthy for me. I mean, I wasn't doing anything like drinking. I've, I've still never been drunk. I've no, don't smoke cigarettes. Um, I've never done any of that, but I really pick bad for me people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was really good. Not that they were bad people. They were just so opposite of me that it brought out my worst. Um, right. And so I'm glad that I learned some of those lessons that decisions aren't life sentences. You know, that we can overcome pretty much anything that's put in front of us. If you have the right mindset and the right perseverance skills, to get through that. And so, yeah, I would really tell myself not to take life too seriously or myself too seriously because really nothing is permanent. It's like, so. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what motivates or drives you? Personally or professionally? Whichever way you want to answer this. <laughs> <sighs> so it's funny. I was talking with my boss yesterday and I said, my goal is to put myself out of a job. And uh, people take that kind of weird, but my goal, is, you know, my job is really looking at negative trends and things that are going. And I want to get so good at my job that my job's no longer needed, that people make the best decisions for themselves every day, that they practice the golden rule of treating other people the way that they would want to be treated. And the unfortunate part is if I put myself out of a job, then EO, the IG, first sergeants, the SARC, <laughs> everyone else is out of a job too. But that's what motivates me, you know, to, to make it where these types of jobs aren't necessary, that we have equipped yeah. people with the right tools and skills um, and the motivation to implement them that we're no longer needed. And so that's what really motivates me is that I, I want my job to no longer be necessary. So I need to do the best right. every day to get to where, you know, if I can just change one person and then that one person, mm-hmm. you know, supervises three or four people and then they pass those skills on. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's what motivates me to come to work every day is to, to get good enough at my job where my job's no longer needed for the Air Force. That is awesome. That's a great goal, especially when we're talking about those negative <laughs> trends, right. you know. <laughs> okay, so what are three takeaways that we can leave the listener with to think about for the next little bit? I say to always be authentically you because there's only one you. So don't try to be what everyone else thinks you should be or wants you to be or, um, you know, you feel like you should be a certain way because that's how everyone else is. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be authentically you. So I think that that's really important. And I think that when people learn to be comfortable with who they are and whatever skin they're in and whatever their life story is, that we all have a story and some people's we hear and some people's we don't. But when you get to be authentically you, it really takes the pressure off. Um, And so I think that that would be one. Worry is a wasted emotion. I love to say that. Um, It never changes the past. We had to take a quick little break because of some printer stuff. So I think we were picking up on... Your second takeaway. Yeah, worry is a wasted emotion. Um, I always say people, we haven't created a time machine to go back and change the past. Um, mm-hmm. And we can't go forward. So the future is going to be what the future is going to be. Worry never changes the outcome of anything. Um, and I'm married to a worry wart. And I'm just, oh. I just look at them. I'm like, it is such a wasted emotion. So much energy is expended worrying about what the future is going to be. We can take steps to mold our future, but it's still going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and so I, I tell people... You know, stop worrying about mistakes that you made. Learn from them, grow from them, 
and move on from them. Um, but don't worry about the future either because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And mm-hmm. when we spend so much time worrying about the past and worrying about the future, we miss out on today. And every day is a gift. And so um, I tell people, just just focus on today and what you got going on and be grateful for the blessings that you have today. Yeah. And if you can't find very many blessings that day, know that tomorrow is a new day. And so some days are a little harder than others. Some days just you know, suck. Seems like nothing's going right. Um, I've had plenty of those days myself, but I always know that tomorrow's going to be another day. And even though the days suck, I'm still get to be in charge of my emotions for the day. Um, and so, you know, let it be just everything happens for a reason. And sometimes I don't understand the reasons. And sometimes I don't know the reasons until two decades later when I've retired and I get an awesome (laughs) job. Um, but then I can look back and say, you know, had it not been, for these things, I wouldn't be where I was today. Um, and so I, I always say I would never change anything. When people ask that question, if you could change your life, I wouldn't because I love where my life has led me to. And if I went back and changed any one of those things that was hard and uncomfortable, then I don't know that I would be where I'm at today. Yeah. And so I always say that you have a 33% chance that things could have gotten better. Changing it could have made it worse. It could have made it come out the exact same or it could have made it better. I mean, 66% chance means it still would have sucked or it would have sucked worse. Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to take those risks. So (laughs) I'm just going to leave it where it's at and just accept that it, it molded me. It gave me strengths and things I may not have known I would have had strengths in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it, it led me to who I am today. So, um, and I know there's people who've gone through way worse things and some people who haven't had the opportunity to grow their resilience because they just haven't had, you know, a lot of bad things that yeah, have happened in yeah. their life. Their, their time's coming. I mean, I don't mean that as a very <laughs> ominous thing. I just mean that, that life, no one guaranteed that life was going to be easy or fair or comfortable, but we do know we all have the strength within us and the skills within us to persevere with whatever life throws at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so stop worrying because you got this. I love it. Whatever this is for you. I love it. And then uh, the third thing. So I learned this as a first sergeant. I don't, I think I might've coined the phrase. I don't know, but, um, I used to get so emotionally wrapped up in other people's issues that it would affect me. Like, and I'm, I'm the type of person like the green mile. I had to take three times trying to watch it because I get so emotionally wrapped up in the characters that I had a really hard time just getting through. So when I see injustice, um, I really hate it when, I see people treating other people badly. Mm-hmm. I don't like those. So I don't watch scary movies um, just because I don't like the fact that those things could actually happen and that there are people whose minds are out there that take pleasure and joy in hurting another human being. Mm-hmm. Um, that really disturbs me. But I used to say that, uh, you know, I, because I, I am, I guess, so empathetic that it was starting to affect me on things that had no control. You know, they had no real effect on my life. So what I would tell people is remember, as you're going through life, being a good wingman is great, but your job is to help people on their journey, not carry their baggage. And oh, yeah. when I would tell myself <clears throat> that, that my job is to help this person on whatever journey, whatever my role is in that, but it is not my responsibility to carry their baggage. And uh, that was very freeing, where I can show empathy, I can show concern, I can be caring, I can help them navigate whatever they're going through. But at the end of the day, that's their story to navigate. Um, And so accepting my role and not trying to take on theirs was very freeing. And so I didn't have to show less concern, less care, less empathy, less sympathy, depending on what the scenario was, but I didn't have to take on the emotion. Um, And it actually made me be able to be there for them better and be 
more purposeful in my thought where I wasn't getting wrapped up in the emotion. Um, and so it was actually healthier for them and for me to remember what my role was. And, you know, it's kind yeah. of a tour guide, not a porter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, they need that experience just like you had. If somebody would have tried to circumnavigate your issues and your trials and tribulations, it would have changed from where you are now. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I love that. Well, before we end, is there any last things you want to spout out here before before we wrap it up? And I think I've talked way too much. No, no. It's, <laughs> the idea is to have a nice conversation and get to know people. So thank you for everything. Oh, thank you. Mrs. Allmeyer, it's really hard to call you that because normally we're on a first name basis. Yes. So uh, <laughs> you're awesome. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So that's it. This is uh, the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Again, I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Haas. If you have a show idea or anybody that you would like to hear from on this show, please contact us at refuelteamfairchild at gmail.com.